This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor and writer for the Peninsula Pulse. And today I am talking with high performance home designer and architect, Verge Temme. Hi, Verge. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me here. It's good to have you here. So we have you here because it is on the occasion of your retirement. (laughs) Ta-da! And actually you retired, well, technically you were supposed to have been retiring last year. Wasn't that the case? Well, it was going to be at the end of two houses that I was building. Okay. And one of them has been delayed due to supply chain issues and Mm -hmm. pricing and whatnot. So that may or may not go this year. I may or may not build it, but basically I'm done. Okay. Yeah. So now she's done. Now, Virgin and I first spoke last fall. We have a story out in the winter magazine of Door County Living. It's called The Pioneer. And I wanted to, first of all, let everybody know that it's there and we will have it online too. But I wanted to talk about the origin of that name, the pioneer. So you are a pioneer in sustainable design in Dora County. That's right. I was probably the first and for a long time, the only one in Dora County that designed first sustainable homes and then energy efficient homes and then high performance homes. Okay. So let's unpack those a little bit for people who don't know what they are. So a sustainable home, a high energy home, are those interchangeable? Not really. A sustainable home can simply be one that is built from local materials. It's sustainable in relationship to the environment and to our resources. And that's what I started out doing. Okay. I followed uh, lead recommendations, leadership in energy and environmental design. It's a program that was developed by the United States Green Building Council. Okay. And it advocated procuring your building materials from within 500 miles of the building site. Oh. And what that did was it reduced the amount of carbon emissions needed for travel. Okay. Trucking all of the supplies. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so the first several homes I did up here, I worked with the local sawmills. Mm. Are there still sawmills up here? Yeah, actually, there's even a new one that just surfaced about two years ago. But I do a lot of work with Jamie Henschel. She is the, to the best of my knowledge, the only female licensed sawyer in the state of Wisconsin. She's amazing. Where are these sawmills? Okay, so now I'm just fascinated by this little tangent. Where are the sawmills? (laughs) Well, let's see. The Henschel Sawmill is on Townline Road. Okay. And then there is another one one on 42 Hmm. and there is another one called I think it's called Joe and Joe's that is down in Southern Door and to the best of my knowledge there's one or two more throughout the county but I I'm not familiar with them directly yeah so we'll get back on track here sorry to derail you that way right and I would you know I would hire like high school kids to come and pick stones for some of the foundation work okay you know so I tried to make it as authentic to the way we used to build as as I could okay and what that does is if you think about it like what are the most sustainable homes in the world you know they're the ones made out of mud right 
They're the ones made out of local materials. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would. I don't know. That would have been something. A- something that easily integrates into the earth again when it's at the end of its lifetime. Okay. You know that is truly the most sustainable. And what sustainability is is making sure that whatever you do, you know, in your lifestyle, in your building practices, whatever you do retains the viability of one's life six, seven generations in the future. Okay. So are you saying that you're building homes that should last for that long? Well, I'm building homes that hopefully will last 150 or more years. Okay. The average American home is expected to last about 30 years. Most of them last about 60, 70 years. Okay. And is that what you're talking about is a code-built home, right? A so, code-built home. Okay. And so only 30 years, that is the life of a code-built home? That's what the, I think the, the lending agencies and the insurance companies oh, figure- you're going to have that home for about 30 years before you have to start doing major, major renovations, renovations to it. Right. Okay. All right. It doesn't mean it's going to fall down in 30 years. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so then back to the difference between sustainability, which we just talked about, mm-hmm. and then the next high performance home. Let's talk about that. So a high performance home is something that really reduces the amount of carbon emissions in the home. Okay. I mean, that that is really the key element of it. Hmm. It's eliminating to the highest degree possible the greenhouse gases. Okay. That the home emits. That now. the home emits. Okay. Yes. Through its heating, through electrical usage, through materials that are used on it. Okay. And a high performance home is typically like 80 to 90% more energy efficient than a code build home. Okay. And code build, when we're talking about that, we're talking about the code that the state of Wisconsin, for instance, has adopted and that builders must follow as guidelines when built, not as guidelines, they're rules, aren't they? That's correct. Okay. And actually what a code-built home is the absolute minimum baseline requirement. Okay. And we have the same building codes, the same energy codes mm-hmm. that we had in 1977. Which is crazy. So if you're building a brand new code-built house, basically you're building a brand new 50-year-old home. Wow. When you stop and think about it. So then the high-performance home... The sustainable home is is one that you're trying to build with materials that are locally sourced. The high perf- That's part of it, yeah. Okay. It's also the location of the building. It's, you know, whatever is not really going to impact the environment and natural resources. Okay. okay. And then the high-performance home is taking that, if I'm understanding this correctly, taking it a little bit higher in terms of the taking giant leaps forward. From okay, that. so then that's with the triple pane windows and the double walls. I think that type of building. Correct. Okay. Uh, double walls can be one way to resolve it. Okay. But what you need to do for a high performance home is you have to calculate how much insulation a wall needs, what the BTU loss should be. Okay. For your climate zone. Okay. And the United States has like 52 different climate zones. Okay. And so here in Wisconsin, we should, in order to, to have a home that doesn't contribute to greenhouse gases, we should be building our walls to an R32 to 37, not the R19 that the state requires. Okay. Now, R is, is the thermal resistance in a wall. Okay. That explains you know, how much heat can be transmitted through the walls. Okay. Okay. So what we need to do here, like our code requires R19 in the walls, 
I think it's R42 and the mm. ceiling. It's hard for me to remember these because I do so much more than that. Sure. <laughs> like you, you start at a much higher level. So if it's going all the way up to, what is it? Did you say it was R32 that it went all the way up to? R32 to 35. 32 to 35. Okay. And ceilings here are, roofs are 42 and I typically build to R70, which is about what you should be. Okay in order to be a high-performance home. But there's so much more than just the insulation and triple-pane windows. There's also the energy modeling. It's identifying where you can get the most solar gain to help heat your house, where you get the shading in the Mm. summer to prevent the house from overheating in the summer. So you really have to plan the house out from the very start. It starts with the design. And there were some things that I will get to this part, Burge does build a lot of these homes up here, but she's also a pretty big deal around the state and country. And several of the governor's cabinet members came up here to take a tour of some high-performance homes so they could try and figure out how they can put some of these things into the building code. But a little bit more on that later. I did see a number of your homes as a result of that tour, however. And so some of the things, some of these high-performance things, I wouldn't even think of, which is the concrete floors, which are warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. And again, that has to do with the way they're designed. And positioned with the sun. Correct. Okay. Yes. So so they can absorb sunlight, heat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. during the day, and then emit that in the evening. However... The thing to remember with a concrete floor is they're also going to be absorbing coal from underneath. And so building codes, again, 1977, just require two inches of rigid foam insulation around the perimeter Mm -hmm. of the floor. Hmm. Whereas a high-performance home will have anywhere from four to six inches of insulation under the entire floor. Okay. And that keeps the cold from creeping in underneath. And a high-performance home... There will be uh, no more than about a three-degree difference between the walls and the ceiling and the floor. Wow. Yeah. That's not my house. I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, sadly, we built our house 20 years ago, and it was before I learned a lot of what I'm doing now and what I've been doing for the last 10, 15 years. Oh, interesting. So you must go home. And and so you're the epitome of that adage where, you know, a carpenter's house never has good carpentry. A plumber's house always has plumbing fixtures that are... Exactly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I've been to your house and it actually looks quite lovely. So you can't tell that. Well, I have to admit over the next six months or so, it's not going to look so lovely because we're tearing the interior apart. Oh. So we're doing an energy retrofit. Okay. Okay. The windows that we ordered 20 years ago, that we installed 20 years ago, was by a good company, mm-hmm. but they are just double pane and and they leak. Mm. You know, it's supposedly one of the best companies in the United States, mm. you know, as far as the main Anderson, Pella, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so we're replacing all the windows. Wow. Then we're going to be augmenting all the insulation. Hmm. And so I'm going to be actually writing a blog because so many people ask, you know, it's easy. It's much easier to build a high-performance home starting fresh. Okay, sure. But when you have to go back and retrofit, it is more expensive. But it's it's not a matter of just throwing a bunch of insulation at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a matter of determining what kind of insulation you currently have in the wall. Mm-hmm. 
and what the proper insulation is to augment that, whether you need to pull out drywall and pull out the existing insulation. Because what happens if you just pile on a bunch of insulation and you don't know what you're doing, you could end up with moisture inside your wall. Okay. Because you're creating thermal bridges from, you know, the temperature differential between the interior and the exterior. And of course, you know, you've got water vapor coming from the inside of the house at certain times of the year and from the outside of the house at other times of the year. And when you have temperature differentials, then those two things can collide and they can create mold inside your wall. Okay. In fact, I talked to a builder, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, and he thought he was doing the right thing when he built his house probably 15 years ago. He built two by six walls and he put one inch of rigid foam insulation on the exterior. And he said when he started building an addition on his house, he started pulling that wall apart and it was half rotted inside hmm. because all the moisture from the inside of the house are being trapped. So it's not as easy as it would seem building no. a house or no. definitely and, not a high performance house. And, and the key is for any home builder who wants to build a home, either a new home or an energy retrofit, you know, from an existing home mm-hmm. is make sure that you work with someone who really understands moisture in a home, Mm -hmm. you know, what the dew point is, make sure that you're working with a specialist Mm. who really knows what they're talking about. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. So now let's go to the third level of home because I want to march down this little path that I have in my head here of describing the differences, you know, Mm -hmm. between the different types of home because we always hear net zero now too, right? So sustainability, high performance, and net zero. Now I see net zero as like the ultimate in a high performance home. Is that the accurate way to look at that? It can be. Okay. So what is a net zero home? A net zero home is a home that consumes no more energy than it creates. Okay. In typical parlance, uh, one might think a net zero home as a house with a whole bunch of solar panels on it. However, that doesn't necessarily mean it's also a sustainable home. Hmm. A sustainable home that is also net zero, the ideal net zero home would be no larger than it needs to be. Because mm-hmm. if you're building an excessively large home, you're using a lot more resources, sure. natural resources, than right. you need to. What's so a perfect size home? Well, <laughs> what would you say for the earth? I mean, if we could only build X number of houses and they could only be X sizes in order to be able to help the earth, then what size would they be? Well, that's a really good question. Mm. Uh, It depends on the country that you're talking about. Mm. So the United States, Canada, and Australia Mm -hmm. have the highest square footage per person of of any place in the world. I'm not surprised, I guess, by that. If you go to the European Union, a typical home is about 800 square feet for two people. Mm. So about 400, 400, 500 
square feet per person. Hmm, that's pretty small. Or it sounds pretty small. It's, it's smaller than Americans are used to. Mm-hmm. Americans are used to something almost three times that large. Oh, sure. You know, the typical American home is right now about 2,700 square feet. Okay. And that's for a family of three and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do the math. Yes. So we, we build much larger than the rest of the world. Much. Our house is 1,700 square feet, and it feels small to me, and it's just me and my spouse. Oh, well. And it feels small. We'll have to take a look at your well, house sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But anyway, okay, so we're... Well, and our house is 1,700 square feet, and it feels it? ample. It feels bigger than that. I know. It's because of the way it's designed. Huh. Yeah. All right. So then the perfect size. The perfect size, I don't know, in my estimation only, is, you know, you take a look at the size of your family. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe multiply that times 500, 600 square feet per person. So each person, 500 square feet. I think that's my personal opinion. Okay. (laughs) All right. So then net zero would be that size, a smaller size. Right. It would be made of sustainable materials. Mm -hmm. That means materials that are not going to be off-gassing or not going to be using an enormous amount of energy to create. So concrete and steel are two of the materials you see in a lot of the architecture magazines now. Mm. You know, and it's what so many people are moving to when they're looking at, you know, more minimalist houses. Okay. You know, you see a lot of that. Is it less expensive, concrete and no, steel? No, not at all. Okay. But also, they have a higher energy impact mm-hmm. than wood. Okay. Wood is probably, has the least impact on the environment. If you can build with wood, build with wood. Okay. So it has a smaller footprint than any of the manufactured types of building materials. Right. Okay. But right. even though wood is also manufactured, I mean, it's not. It, it is, but yeah. it's a renewable resource and it takes very little energy to create it. Okay. You think about heat and what is necessary to create heat that in typical American fashion, that would be some kind of petroleum product, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be um, natural gas or whether it be uh, gas or diesel or whatever, but it creates a lot of heat to make concrete, to make steel. Mm-hmm. And to make glass, for that matter. Mm. But if you can balance between the materials you use and the energy they consume versus what the house is going to be saving by being more energy efficient, that's usually what people look mm. at. So a net zero energy home, an ideal net zero energy home is going to be small. It's going to be made of more sustainable materials. It's going to be modeled properly as far as its level of insulation, as far as its solar orientation, so it it will naturally consume less energy Mm. than is needed. In the Passive House Alliance, Mm -hmm. uh, Passive House principles were developed over in Germany. Actually, they started at the University of Illinois, Mm. my alma mater. (laughs) But the, the goal of the ideal net zero home is to build a home that consumes as, as little energy as possible and only then augment it with okay. solar panels or other types of renewable energy. Okay. And does it need those other types of renewable energy in order to achieve net zero-ness? Or can you actually do it without those? In almost all cases, you have to get at least that last 10% okay. through renewable energies. Got it. 
So now you are one of the only ones, well, you were the only one that was building in this way. You started your business, Verge Temi Architecture, in 1999? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that was shortly after you moved to Door County, you and your husband, Brett? Right. And when you moved to Door County about a year later, you started Verge Temi Architecture, and then you were off and running with sustainable models and getting interested in passive home building. Right. Well, first of all, I had wonderful professors mm-hmm. at the University of Illinois, and one of them was actually the author of a book on passive solar design. Mm-hmm. He indoctrinated me big time in thinking this way, and it just made so much sense mm-hmm. to build with nature instead of against nature. And so that's really what I've been doing since I first got into architecture. Okay. And you were the only one doing it, again, up here. And really, there weren't very many in the state of Wisconsin who were doing it either. No, there were various, I want to say, experiments on passive solar design Mm -hmm. and some on active solar design. I'm not saying I was the only one, but there was an engineer who lived here in Door County, and he did an active solar home. His wife, a few years after he died, had to sell the home because she said it was so complicated to figure mm, it out. Okay. <laughs> she couldn't handle it. So there were other people who were trying here and there. Right. Okay. But as far as, as making this a mission, I was really the only one for a long time, and I caught a bunch of flack for it for a long time. And Well, describe <laughs> that. Why would you get flack for wanting to build like this? I think because it was unfamiliar to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But why? But normally you get flack when something is threatening or something. Because I was trying to change the way people were thinking about housing, about okay. construction. Okay. Like suddenly saying the building code is not correct, good enough. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And I was thinking about the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about our impact on the environment. And in the construction community, it's... I don't want to say it's cutthroat, but it's very much a competition to see who can get what projects. Mm-hmm. You know, people have to make a living. And really since about the nineteen late 1930s, you know, the construction industry has been based on bottom line costing. Mm-hmm. So it was always like a race to the smallest dollar amount a house could be built for. So the various builders would get that contract. Mm-hmm. So so when you when you started trying to convince them that they should put more insulation in that, yeah, this might cost a little bit more. Well, they didn't want to do that because they thought it might compromise their business. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Yes. But what we're trying to do with the Passive House Alliance, and in fact, what I've been doing with, with my personal research, and I really consider my career as one of more research Mm -hmm. than one of architecture, design and building, Mm. you know, because For me, I've incrementally adapted and learned and modified what I do to try to inch it up incrementally over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, like every couple of years, I do a vast amount of research to say, okay, what what are other people in the world doing to make their homes better, more energy efficient, saving money? And what we've initiated with the Passive House Alliance, and I'm a board member of that, Mm -hmm. and I'm also uh, one of the members of a subcommittee called the Cost Feasibility Committee. And what we're looking at right now, we're diving very deeply into what the actual costs are to create a net zero home. Mm. I'm glad you're going code build. Sure, I'm glad you're going there because that is the one thing that's going through my mind and I'm sure a lot of people too when whenever they think about this is that 
Whenever you have a customer who is able to build a custom home, then obviously that suggests they have a certain level of income. So when you have a builder who's doing cold built homes, it's going to be a home for somebody who is more in an average, you know, income range. And so of course, nobody wants to hear that they're not getting a really well built home if they're just getting a code built home. So then if we were to kick it up a little bit more, then it kicks it up into a higher income range for a higher level of customer. And yes, it's wonderful that people are able to save costs at the end, but how do you actually get enough to put, you know, even a down payment and the way the mortgage system works in order to be able to build this house? Well, that's exactly why we're doing this research. Okay. Because what happens is you may pay an extra three to 5% mm-hmm. up front. And that's it? Just three to 5%? It's a over. lot less expensive than most people think. Okay. If it's done right. I mean, there's certain people who go overboard, in my opinion, Okay, to make a, a net zero energy home or a high performance home. Okay. If you approach it rationally, mm-hmm. and if you do the minimal amount necessary to reach that level of insulation and, and protection of the home, you don't have to spend more than 3 to 5% more. Okay. But you're looking at that. You're getting like exactly. actual cost to see right. what the difference is. Exactly. Okay. And so- then what we're doing is we're modeling the homes, the, the energy level of the homes, and determining how much it costs to heat and how much we're saving on these homes. And that is all on paper for the Passive House Alliance. Okay. But what I've been doing in my own practice is I've been keeping track of the homes that, that I've built mm-hmm. and calculating if there was a 30-year mortgage, how much extra they would be paying out of pocket every month for that mortgage payment, contrasting that to how much they're saving if it had been over what it would have been if they were a code-built house. Mm -hmm. And across the board, every single home that I have done in the last 10 years that we've been monitoring has had a net zero impact, Mm -hmm. um, a differential. You know, either they're completely offsetting that additional amount or they're actually saving money. And Mm -hmm. it might be, you know, $5 a month or so over what they would have spent for their energy plus the the mortgage. Okay. But it's a savings. And and the point is, it doesn't cost really more over the life of the building to build it properly. And as we all know, the energy costs keep ratcheting up mm-hmm. you know what wps just asked for another 10 percent rate hike mm-hmm. and so now they're going to be paying more right and then they'll be paying more and then right. they'll be paying more but in the meantime they're not using more energy so now that's a very interesting part of this now you've been uh you were selected in 2020 to uh governor tony evers what was it the commission the code council the uniform dwelling code council okay and so what i'm hoping to do with that is like influence and sadly we've only had one meeting since Mm. since i was appointed okay you know last april and so my goal with that is to start looking at the energy codes mm-hmm. and, and try to get them updated to current reasonable standards. Mm-hmm. What the state is doing is we're going to be providing this information to the state about the cost differential and the energy savings. And then the state is going to be also working with the appraisers mm-hmm. and with the banking institutions and with the insurance institutions mm-hmm to try to reformat how mortgages are calculated, that they're based not just on the bottom line, but also on the cost savings, what the 
energy costs would be for that home. So that would be factored in. So when people are giving their financial information and they can kind of get an idea of what they're going to be paying in utility costs, for example, at the end. Correct. And that was a really interesting thing about the tour that Governor Tony Evers' commissioners came up here to do. There was one for insurance. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. for insurance, she was the one who oversaw the building code as well. And the insurance commissioner was here. Banking institution. Yes. And so they were all very interested in figuring out a way to get more energy efficient building codes into the code and also to get the insurance industry and the mortgage industry to understand you know, why maybe there's a little bit more that needs to be given up front mm-hmm. so that it can be recouped in the back. But that sounds like an enormous undertaking to, to really... It's a big shift to turn yeah, around. Yeah, it would really be. But that's what... There are people working on that. Yes. So it's good to, it's good to well, know Well, in fact, we're having a meeting tomorrow to just really determine which models we're going to be using, exactly what we're going to be comparing because there are so many ways to get that R35 in a wall. Hmm. And some are more expensive, some are less expensive. Some are more impactful uh, against the environment without gassing, and some are less. So that's something that we're looking into as well. So would it be good to even get uh, code-built builders to even have these options available for a homeowner? Because I imagine that if you are not a sustainable home designer or builder, then those aren't even options that you're presenting to your clients. So if they had, you know, a portfolio of, okay, you go from here, this is a code built all the way up to here. These are the price options. I mean, would that be a change if builders knew about all of these different energy efficient things that they could do? Or do they know? Well, that is one of the outreach uh, missions we have with not only the Passive House Alliance, but, you know, people in general who are in this field of study. Okay. Is reaching out to the the building community and educating builders. And one of the things that I personally hope happens with the Code Council is we start mandating that half of the continuing education credits that builders are required to get every year, Mm -hmm. half of them have to be on energy efficiency. Hmm. That is my goal. Okay. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Okay. So now you have done all of these wonderful things up here and you have a lot of energy and you seem like not old enough to actually be retiring. So how do you just walk away from doing all of this up here? And are you walking away or is this just a new chapter for you? Well, I'm actually calling it more of a transition than a retirement. Okay. (laughs) I'm transitioning out of design and build into research. Ah. Yes. So all and education. Things. Okay. Yeah. And I think I might have told you when we met before that I changed my major like five times. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in a lot of things. And and there are a lot of things that I am interested in that now I have time to really explore. Hmm. But I know so much about energy efficient design. Mm-hmm. And I am so passionate about it. And I want people to know about it. And I want people to do it. And so even though I'm going to be out gardening a lot more and Mm -hmm. spending more time with friends, you know, I will continue to be working with the various organizations to to help really promote energy efficiency in in homes. Okay. And this is uh, one thing that is actually in the magazine article that I just wanted to quote because I just thought it was so interesting. And it's what you said about what you're hoping for the future. And you said, I'm hoping 
in time, it's not going to be a verge Temi thing. It's not going to be a sustainable thing. It's not going to be a high performance thing. It's just going to be, this is how we do it. That right. is my ultimate goal. That is what I hope is going to happen. So it sounds to me like you are going to be working in non-retirement toward that goal. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. You know, when I first came up here, I was the only female architect working mm. up here. In fact, I was pretty much the only female working in construction. And so I was an oddity. And all I heard was, oh, that lady architect, that lady architect, mm. that lady architect. And I was delighted to finally... It's really been only the last few years mm -hmm. that they just referred to me as the architect. Okay. You know, and... That's a landmark. That it's a is landmark, and I'm really delighted to see that there is another extremely talented female architect mm. that is doing work up here now, too, Megan Hawkins. That's right. Yeah. Megan, yeah. yes. And she um, said wonderful things about you, as did many people that I spoke with for the story. We have so, a mutual admiration society. <laughs> <laughs> she so, does beautiful work. Yes. Yeah. And I saw one of her houses when we went on that tour, actually. It was just uh, still at the rafter stage, You should I see it say. now. So is it done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So I'm talking with Verge Temi. She is an architect. However, she has now retired to go into a different stage of life. And if you want to learn more about Verge, there is a complete story in this winter's Door County Living Magazine. And you can also find her story online. It takes us all the way back to the beginning, that story, and <laughs> tracks her uh, career and how she arrived here. And it's really a very fascinating story. So I would urge anybody to pick up the magazine and read the story. But for today, Verge, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Deb, for all you're doing. <laughs> yes, and thank you for listening. You're listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. And my name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor and writer for The Pulse. And until next time, Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.